Today we're going to read from uh, John 6, 1 to 15. Uh, I'll be reading from the ESV. <clears throat> After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was, was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the, people, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he, when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they had, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from, from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Would you help us to receive from you as we, as we consider your word, these words, um, that were not written to us per se, but, but certainly for us. Would you open our hearts and our minds, and Holy Spirit, would you come and, and, and help us, lead us, be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I'm Simon, if we've not met. I'm the lead pastor at Grace City in Portland, just one of many leaders who are here to serve you guys. Um, all right, there's a lot going on. Um, well done, Hannah and Nathan, for all of the info. It's kind of exciting. So we just read um, one of the more famous uh, miracle moments in the life of Jesus. Uh, in fact, there's something... Uh, relatively unique about this particular moment. It's besides the resurrection, Jesus coming back from death, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Um, and I don't know exactly what that says, but um, it's interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure it says something. Um, this is... This is significant, it's important, um, on many levels. One, and most obviously, Jesus just took 
five barley loaves. I don't know how big these loaves are. Doesn't matter. Just five barley loaves and two fish. And somehow used them to feed 5,000 people or 5,000 men. There's speculation as to how many people were actually there. It doesn't really matter in my mind. 5,000 plus. Uh, and that's simply a miracle. That's Jesus doing Jesus stuff. Um, it's the deity of Christ um, coming to the fore. This is no mere man. This is not just a teacher or a spiritual guru. Um, Jesus is something else altogether. And so this is a miracle. That in itself is, is quite something. Um, but it's not just that. In fact, even within the, the, the recounting of the miracle itself, there's a bit of a story that unfolds that Jesus is actually uh, maximizing the occasion. He's utilizing the moment to, uh, to test his disciples is interesting. So he's wanting to teach his disciples and thus us about who he is, um, about how we might relate to him, and what life might look like in the face of impossible circumstances when Jesus is there. And so he tests his disciples. How do you guys feel about that? The notion of being tested, uh, because that's what we're all looking for. Uh, for, right? Like, let's go get tested again. Um, yeah, love that. It's not something that I think, um, even under normal circumstances, that most of us uh, get particularly excited about, the idea of being tested by someone you're in relationship with. Um, it reminds us that Jesus is, is our teacher. Uh, if you're a disciple of Jesus, he's master. Um, and as much as I love to actually think deeply about the way God in Christ empathizes with my pain, um, tolerates my frustration, and my spiritual tantrums from time to time. Um, and it's just that kind of God who's deeply empathetic and patient with his, his kids. Um, he is also our master and our teacher and is, is intent upon teaching us uh, to become more like him, uh, to love like him, to think like him, uh, which is the life of a disciple. And so that's what he's doing here. Um, he gets to do that um, because he is our friend and then some. He is Master Jesus who is, is always, always lovingly and boldly, patiently teaching us. Um, oftentimes in like impossible circumstances, which is what's happening here. All of a sudden, they've crossed over this sea of the crowd is naturally uh, following him because they've already seen a few miracles. They, they've, they're already beginning to connect some dots and wherever this guy goes, that's, that's, that's where we're going next. Um, we need more of 
Well, it said that they, they decided to follow him because he had healed the sick. So naturally, we're going to go wherever this guy's at. Um, so the, the crowd has amassed, and uh, Jesus decides this would be a perfect opportunity. This uh, overwhelming situation, 5,000 plus people who are about to get really um, hungry, here's an opportunity. Let's, uh, let's see if we can't pose a question that's going to test my disciples. And that's what he does. Um, what's the test? What is the test exactly? So obviously there, there's this massive crowd of people. Um, it's, it says that Passover was coming up. We don't know exactly when, but it's, it's upon them. And, and so naturally they're thinking about the feast and it would seem they've not planned for the situation, the trip. All of these people, where are we gonna get the food? So there's like the obvious question, like where are we gonna get the food? What are we gonna do? But what really is Jesus, uh, what is the test exactly? Like how are they meant to answer? Do, do, do they get it right? Do they even come close? Do they fail miserably? And what are they meant to learn from it? What is uh, the test? And of course, if we were to consider our own lives, you know, if we were to imagine us being there or if you're currently facing some impossible challenge, maybe you're not trying to figure out how to feed 5,000 people, uh, maybe you're just trying to figure out how to feed your family. Maybe you're trying to figure out how to not go homeless this month. Or maybe you look around our city and you think, yeah, there's at least 5,000 hungry people here. And that concerns me deeply. What, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix it? Who's going to take care of this impossible problem that we're now faced with? And I'm sure all of us fit someplace in that spectrum. And in that place, Jesus decides to test us. What is this test? This is the test. Let me submit this to you. When faced with impossible circumstances, despite how little you have, if Jesus is with you, then you will have more than enough. Do you believe this? This is the test. When facing impossible circumstances, despite how little you have, if Jesus is with you, then you will have more than enough. Do you believe it? That's the test. I believe that is the test. What will you do? How will you view your resources? How will you respond when facing this impossible situation despite how little you have or may, you think you may have? Do you believe that if Jesus is with you, then you have more than enough? Now that is a test. Do you believe that? Do you, did his disciples believe that? Did Philip pass the test? Now, we're told explicitly that Jesus, he already knew 
what he was going to do. So I think it's reasonable to assume that he knew that Philip was going to respond in the way he did. That no, he, he did not pass the test. Which says something about the test itself. Jesus, of course, isn't, um, this isn't some sort of petty test so that Jesus can just sort of prove that he's right and Philip is stupid and, and then somehow make a point out of it and rub his nose in it. No, no, he's, he, he already knows that Philip and Andrew aren't really going to pass the test. But that's not the point of the test. It's not a pass or fail test, it's the kind of test, it's the sort of maximizing of a situation where his disciples will have the opportunity to to realize where they're really at, how in fact they are perceiving the situation, and whether or not they do or don't really believe that despite how little they have, if Jesus is with them, then they have more than enough. So you could say it, ex- it exposes something of the heart. It unearths where their faith is really at. And this, of course, ties back to um, John, who, who recorded these events, who wrote the gospel according to John. He's got this constant agenda. He wants us to believe that Jesus is able this is his great agenda. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he is who he claims to be? Do you believe that he can do what he claims he can? Where are you at with Jesus? And when you're facing an impossible situation um, and Jesus is, is wanting you to, to come to terms with, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Where are you really at? Then this, this sort of test helps us to... Um, perhaps have a wonderful and painful moment of honesty that we might repent. We might come back. That we might perhaps be stretched and grow and come to trust Jesus in new ways. Um, In your difficult moment, let's suppose for argument's sake, uh, you do believe in Jesus. Fair assumption, we are at church. We won't, we won't take a survey now, but um, let's suppose to varying degrees, all of us, maybe at least most of us, say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, 100%. Now when I read about the miracles, it's always a bit mind-boggling. It's always like, oh my goodness, like, how did that even actually happen? Like, I would have loved there to, to like see the actual multiplication, like what? How did that go down? What did it look like? Were, were they even aware that this was happening or was it more like they didn't notice that the bread wasn't running out? I don't know, I don't know. But in your situation right now, let's say you say, I am a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I know that he died to save me, and now he's got me like on this journey of life and I'm experiencing different things. And every now and again, Sometimes it feels like more often than not, I'm faced with like a really impossible situation. Like I'm hearing rumors of war. I mean, my marriage um, is falling apart. I, I'm 
seriously contemplating suicide on a relatively regular basis. I feel so lonely, I want to die. And, and you, you know, it's the stuff of life, the really hard stuff of life, what Jesus referred to as tribulations in this life. And so we're following Jesus and he's, he's, he's leading us and, and it's all a bit, a bit intense and wonderful and hard and, and everything else. And, and now we are facing this impossible challenge of life. And now Jesus tests us. Do you really believe that if I'm with you, you have more than enough? Despite how little you have, if I'm with you, you do have more than enough. Do you believe me? Hmm, that is quite a test. That is quite a test. Currently, I'm, um, we, I feel, feel like we talked a lot about money already this morning, but this was the illustration I had already worked out. Uh, currently, I'm thinking a lot about money. And uh, I'm one of these people, this is a confession now. You guys mind if I talk about my, my issues? My sin a little bit? I won't get like too graphic. But I have a really bad habit of opening up my my app, checking my account balance. It's like, a, it's like a habit. And I'm not even, I'm not really worried about it, but sometimes I wonder to myself, like why do I keep checking this thing? Like, what exactly am I expecting to happen? But it, to me, it's a reminder that like, okay, I'm thinking quite a bit about money lately. Um, and the feeling, the thought, if I am to be totally honest, isn't like, you know what, I have more than enough. I have more than enough. In fact, I have so much more than enough that really the thing I should be thinking about is who can I share it with? Like, where is the real need? How can I maximize all of this more than enough resources to bless the people around me even more? That's not my default thought or feeling. And I'm not even consciously thinking like, well, I don't have enough. Any day now, any day now, we're gonna, we're gonna be unable to pay our mortgage and, and, and our kids are gonna go starving and we're gonna have to foreclose in the church building. Like these are not my conscious thoughts, but I am aware that I'm constantly checking this thing. Now that's, that's money. All of you, that's not the thing you're dealing with. Um, but when you think about your challenge, could be massive, could be more subtle. As you think about the challenge that you're currently facing in life or the challenges you're facing in life and you think about, well, Jesus is with me. He promised to never leave me. He promised to provide for all of my, my needs according to the rich abundance of his glory. Do I believe that? Do I really believe that? Um, it's a journey. It's a journey. I don't know if anyone just simply arrives, but it's a journey, and, and Jesus tests us that we might um, become more aware. This is where I'm at. This is, this is what I really believe. Let, let me, um, let me, let me kind of turn it around. Let, let me suggest a few ways where we begin to fail the test, like uh, Philip and Andrew, okay? Uh, number one, well, like Philip and Andrew, 
when push comes to shove, we actually really don't believe that we have enough. Okay, Philip's response, love him, brutally honest, no, we don't have enough, unless you've got like 200 denarii in your pocket. Um, even then, I, I don't know where exactly we're gonna find all this bread. 200 denarii would have been like one day's wage. We're talking like eight months worth of wages. No, Jesus, we obviously don't have enough to feed these 5,000 people. We do not have enough, uh, nor will we ever have enough, not for ourselves and not, certainly not to share. And that's often our default thinking, I don't have enough. Jesus is with me, and I suppose in theory, if you want to get like theological, sure, I have more than enough, but on an emotional level, which tends to inform the way I actually act and relate with the people around me, no, I don't have enough. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough resources, I don't have enough um, affection. Let me, let me hit this nerve real quick. Um, oftentimes, the real need or the real lack in our lives, it's not necessarily to do with resources because resources can be very, very relative. And we can be convinced that we don't have enough because I keep driving by the billboard on my commute every day that reminds me until I get that thing, I do not have enough. Okay, we're all aware that this is how our society works, right? We have been conditioned and are continually conditioned every single day to believe, no, I don't have enough, which is why I gotta buy the thing. I need to go make some more money. I need to hustle so I can get the thing so then maybe I will have enough. But even when I get that thing, there's another billboard blocked down the road that reminds me, nope, still don't have enough. Gotta go buy that thing. That's, that's our society. And I'm not gonna start bashing capitalism um, or anything like that. It's just the world we live in. We have been conditioned to believe we don't have enough. But what if we do? What if actually when it comes to the affection that we all long for, relational intimacy, what if that, that belief that's sort of been ingrained in my soul that no, I don't have enough, I'm not loved enough, people don't care about me enough, what if it's not true? What, what, if, what if we're just being conditioned to constantly think, I'm still not loved enough? What if something happened to us a long time ago that left this sort of like imprint on our soul? That continuously, like that billboard we drive by, it's like this billboard in our soul that's constantly telling us you're not loved enough. You're still lonely. They still don't care. They're still going to reject you. And no matter how many people look you in the eye and be like, I love you so much. You're so great. I'm so glad you're here. I, I can't wait to get to know you more. No, I don't have enough. I'm not loved enough. I'm still not loved enough, and I won't be loved enough until I get that thing that I'm convinced will fill me. Whatever that thing might be, that next relationship, that spouse, that experience, those words that I long for that truly I believe we'll only ever be able to get from our Heavenly Father. And we're conditioned to believe I don't have enough. I see this happen in our relationships, even in marriage. I think, man, if only my wife would love me this way, then I could, then I could be happy. 
then I could finally be fulfilled. Maybe she'll do it. Well, but then there's another billboard. If only she did this, if only she said that, if only she was exactly this particular way, then, then I'll have enough. Then I'll be satisfied in my soul. Then I'll feel loved. But what if it's a lie? What if, what if actually I do have enough? What if God has surrounded me with people who do love me and would love to actually experience intimacy with me? But I somehow keep believing this lie, like, nope, still not enough, still not happy, still lonely, still rejected, still unloved. So that's, I think, just true. Um, Here's another way we can fail the test. We do have enough, as long as we conserve, conserve what little we have. I got five loaves and two fish. That's enough. That's more than enough. Five loaves and two fish? That's a meal. That's like way more than, than you need for lunch. I have more than enough, but only if I conserve it. Only if I like keep it on the down low. Don't share it. I mean, what, what good is it gonna do anyways? 5,000 people, I mean, get real. So if I just keep it on the down low, don't share it, don't give it away, don't be generous, don't sacrifice for the sake of others, even if it does feel foolish, then maybe I'll have enough. Is that true? Does it work that way? Oh goodness, please tell me we all know it doesn't actually work out. The more we cling, the more we conserve, the more we hoard, the more it becomes about me and my self-preservation, the more empty and, and, and broke I truly become. But that's a mistake that we can make. That's one definite way to fail the test. Oh, I have enough just not to share. I'll share a little bit, but I'm not gonna like distribute it to the masses. I'm not gonna lose my life so that maybe others can experience new life for themselves. Third one, last one. Another way that I, I believe we, we all potentially fail the test is we believe we don't have enough yet, but with a little more time and effort, we'll get there. Now this is a sneaky one. This is a sneaky one. This is where we can invite Jesus into our lack. Say, okay, Jesus, here's what I need you to do. Here's how it's going to go down. You know I don't have enough yet, but if you can just do X, Y, and Z for me, um, or just give me the, the knowledge that I'm lacking or the opportunities that I desire, then, then I'll have enough. Then I'll have enough. But I just need a bit more time and I just need to apply a bit more effort. Here's the tricky thing about this. That actually works for a lot of people. For a lot of people, um, religious, a religious lifestyle, um, mastering religious religious ethics can actually be very beneficial. The, the scriptures actually even say like, there's great benefit to, to living a godly life. It's true. And that works for a lot of people. And for a lot of people, it does not. 
It works for a lot of people um, for maybe a few generations. Let's put it that way. Ultimately, though, and this is a fundamental truth in Scripture, ultimately, no matter how much time we have, no matter how much effort we apply, if enough time goes by, if enough generations pass, it doesn't matter how hard we try or how much time we have. In the end, we run out. In the end, we come up short. In the end, we find ourselves being confronted, sometimes quite painfully, with the reality that actually I can't do anything apart from my creator. I have not been made to flourish in any other way. And though I might be really good at mastering a certain kind of lifestyle or religious, religious ethics or, or self-discipline and all these really good godly things, some people, oh my goodness, we try so hard. We try and God knows we try. I just keep failing. I just keep wanting to die. I just keep getting fired from my job. It was, it was like born with this congenital uh, situation. God knows I've tried. And I've come to the very difficult reality that no, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Mm. So, how do we pass the test? What is, what is the correct answer to the test facing the impossible situation of life? Looking at what you've got, realizing like, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't have much. I've got very little, in fact. Jesus, can you do anything with this impossible situation of my life? I don't have enough, but Jesus, you have resources that I know not of. I'm going to contribute whatever I have and trust that you have a plan. Like the little boy. I think of the whole story. The little boy passed the test. I've got five barley loaves and two fish. Look at the crowd, definitely not enough. Lord Jesus, here's everything I've got. I believe that you can do something. I believe that because you're here, oh, we will have more than enough. How hard is that? How hard is that? You know, there's, a, there's actually another test in this situation. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure you noticed this. I haven't said anything about it yet, but where, where the, the moment ends, the crowd, okay, they've been fed. In fact, the little boy was right. They, they did have enough. In the end, they had 12 basketfuls left over. That's called more than enough. Here's the little I have, Lord Jesus, you take it. I don't know how this is gonna work out. 
but I believe that you have resources that I know not of. And it turns out they end up with more than enough. But here's the other test. The people, they, they experience this. And I wondered to myself, did, did the 5,000 realize what happened? Or they're like, sweet, man, they, they came prepared. They came with a truckload of bread and fish. This is incredible. Let's make this dude king. Clearly, he's like, he's tapped in some resources. He's like a master at logistics. He's just fed 5,000 people. Let's make this guy king. And that's, that's fair. We're told that the Passover was upon them, which means every Jew in the crowd, every Jewish person would have been thinking, man, I wonder if God will ever do for us what he did once before. When our entire nation was living in slavery for 400 years in slavery in Egypt, and then God sent a man named Moses, and Moses began to confront the, 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 um, their oppressors, Pharaoh, Egypt, their, their, the slave owners, and, and God delivered them. God delivered them out of slavery and he fed them in the desert and he led them into to this new place where they had more than enough and that's a whole story in itself but they're thinking, ah, Passover. That was the night when God sent the angel of death to execute justice on their behalf so that they might be set free and brought into the land of more than enough. So they're thinking about that. It's the time of the year when we remember how God delivered his people, Passover. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, 18, God actually made a promise to his people. He told Moses, I will raise up for them, my people, a prophet like you from among their brothers. That's why um, occasionally throughout the gospel of John, um, people are wondering, is this the prophet? Is this the prophet who was to come? For sure, they were thinking of Deuteronomy 18, 18. Second Kings chapter four, this is a bit more obscure. They were probably thinking about the story of Elisha. We're told that Elisha, uh, there was a man who, there was famine in the land, then a man from Baal Shalisha brought to Elisha his tithe of 20 barley loaves, and Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But the man said in response, how can I set this before a hundred men? And again, Elisha said, give it to them that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. This whole story has happened before. But instead of 20 barley loaves for a hundred, it was five barley loaves and two fish for 5,000. So they're thinking, dude, this is the guy. This is the one even greater than Moses, greater than Elisha. Surely this is the king who's come to deliver his people. Let's make him king. Let's do it right now, by force. And of course, Jesus says no. Uh-uh. Is this some other kind of test? Why? I thought he was meant to be king. I thought he was king. Why? Why, would, why wouldn't he go along with the people's desire to make him king? That he might deliver them from darkness, 
Feed them. Overthrow Rome, their oppressors at that time. When faced with impossible circumstances, this is the other test. When faced with impossible circumstances and you turn to Jesus for help, will you tell him how to meet your needs? Or will you trust him when he says, this is the path to fulfillment. Take up your cross and follow me. Learn to lose your life for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel, my mission in a broken world, and then you will truly find your fill. You will have more than enough with leftovers. The people knew that Jesus had what they were looking for, but they weren't ready to follow Jesus to the cross. They just thought that he would overthrow Rome and make more fish and bread. And Jesus said, no, I'm not that kind of king. How often do we make the mistake of failing the more subtle test when we say, Jesus, be king of my life. No, I insist, Jesus, be king. Jesus, be king. Do we even know what we're asking for? Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I'm totally submit. I'm going to totally surrender. Jesus is Lord. There it is. Confessed with my mouth. Believed in my heart. Now, Jesus, this is what I need you to do. More fish and bread to start with. And then whatever the difficult, impossible circumstance is in my life is, I need you to address that. And I wonder if sometimes Jesus says, do you realize what you're asking me for? I would love to be king of your life. In fact, I will be if I want to. But here's how it's going to go down. Here's how I'm going to meet your need. I'm going to go to the cross and lay down my life for you. I want you to take up your cross and do the same. I want to teach you how to lose your life. Take the little you have. Give it to me. And let me be king in your life. Let me teach you how to truly find the life you're looking for. It will cost you everything. The little boy gave everything he had. And Jesus gave us everything he has. And teaches us to do the same. Can we stand please? This is the way of sacrificial love. This is the way of sacrificial love. Apart from Jesus, uh, we don't have enough. Time and effort is not the answer. A radical 
and wonderful acknowledgement that Jesus, um, we need you to save us. We need you to do something that, that utterly transcends our resources, our abilities. Here's the little bit that I have. <laughs> Part of me is so tempted to cling to this thing because it's all I got. Oh my goodness, if I give you this, what does that do to my identity? Like, where do I go from there? Like, what, like what, it feels like stepping into uh, the most uncertain, insecure place, giving Jesus your life. The good news is, not only does he, not only does he meet us right there, right where we're at, more than happy to engage in our, our, our fears, our insecurities, our brokenness, all those billboards we've been driving past our whole life. He meets us right there. Not only is he able to help us in our brokenness, he promises to exceed our expectations. He doesn't just feed us. Like he, he feeds us and then some that we might have leftovers, more than enough to share, more than enough security, more than enough love, more than enough resources, more than enough that not only will I find what I'm looking for, but then I'm like, dude, I really do need find, to find someone to share this with. Isn't it tempting to think, man, in a season of like famine, what I really need to do is kind of withdraw a little bit, button down the hatches, lock it down, and make sure that I conserve what little bit I have. And then Jesus says, you know, like eventually you're just gonna, that's gonna run out and you're gonna starve to death. Give it to me. Let me teach you the way of sacrificial love. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. We're gonna take communion now. So if you're uh, serving communion this morning, would you please um, prepare to do that? If you have a child downstairs and you need to go and grab them, you're very welcome to do that now. It's 11.30, we've gone a little bit long. I apologize for that. Um, but we're not gonna rush now. We're just not, we don't need to. We're gonna take communion. We're gonna worship. And if you need prayer, I invite you to come up front. Someone will be here to pray for you. Um, if you don't know what communion means, it's our way of saying to Jesus, what you've done for me, you giving your body and your blood as a sacrifice, you dying as the payment for my sins penalty. Um, we call that atonement. When we receive the bread and the juice, we're saying, yeah, I receive your sacrifice for me on my behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Now, would you teach me how to take out my cross and follow you in the way of sacrificial love? And if you'd say, I'm definitely not ready for that. I'm, I'm, just, I'm a little confused as to what that even means. I hope you're not confused. 
because it's a very simple thing. It means, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I'm going to give you everything I've got. Now you lead the way. I trust that you have more than enough. I'm going to repent for my sin. I'm going to stop trying to do it my own way. I'm going to stop trying to to make excuses, thinking that somehow, well, Jesus hasn't provided for my needs, so I'm going to have to bend the rules and and take matters into my own hands. Nope, it's to say, Jesus, I surrender 100%. You get to decide. You have more than enough. I'm giving you all I've got, Lord Jesus. I am yours. Lead on. That's what communion means. So if you want to uh, say yes to Jesus, then please receive communion this morning whenever you're ready. And then let's worship.